0: this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
1: you know i find that uh, audio is always better john When you turn your microphone on, yeah, that helps. And uh, that has nothing to do with the technical <laughs> producer of the show. That is host error out of the gates on this January 24th morning. It's a Tuesday. How's your yeah. Tuesday started? Good to see you. It's
2: going pretty good. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Mm-hmm. You were telling me you're in action to uh, uh, turn in the tables tomorrow night. Oh, the, the wheels of steel. The, the wheels of steel. Is, yeah. that, what they,
2: is that industry speak? <laughs> yeah, doing a hip-hop show at Starlight Room for my buddy out of Kelowna. His name's Robbie G. He's opening for a guy named Tony Yayo, if you want to come by. Shows at 7 o'clock.
1: Mm and people can find it all on your Instagram and things oh, like that. Yeah. And track it down or contact you directly if they want to check it out. We've got a great show uh, this morning. We had a we had a, a bit of an explosion of interest in a, a conversation that we had yesterday on the show with Professor Dwayne Brad, of course, everybody yeah. I think across the country At least people that care about provincial politics or political dynamics are paying attention to this story uh, involving Alberta Premier Danielle Smith or allegedly. No, 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 no. The story does involve Alberta Premier Danielle Smith, and it allegedly involves prosecutors that were either contacted or not contacted, depending on, on what the truth is in the context of charges. Some of the very serious charges stemming from that border blockade last year at the Coutts border crossing that's south of Lethbridge, Alberta. Now, there have been some interesting developments over the past few days, and we're doing our best to stay on top of these. But the story is changing almost by the day. And so it makes it one that's a, that's certainly a, a story of interest. But people are trying to figure out what's smoke and mirrors. What's B.S.? And what's the truth? I'm going to put this in front of Rick Peterson coming up in about 10 minutes. Rick's going to join us. He's the founder of Peterson Capital. He's a money guy. He has sought the leadership of the federal conservative party before, and he's a co-founder along with, you remember Tasha Carradine, a longtime broadcaster, author, political commentator. She was on Real Talk last year talking about center ice Canadians, this group that they founded. You remember this? They started it called Center Ice Conservatives, and then people said, well, the whole point is to find out if there's people that are meeting in the, the so-called mushy middle, and they, and, and, and they double-checked, and they said, yeah, you're right. And they changed the name. They changed the brand to Center Ice Canadians, which I think was an astute move. Anyway, Rick himself has been a supporter of conservative parties in past, of conservative governments. Hell, he wanted to lead the conservative party on the federal front. I want to pick his brain on this. Uh, but Rick's also joining us to talk about the idea around an Alberta pension plan. He's been writing about it in National News Watch, and again, like I said, he's a money guy, so that should be an interesting conversation. Uh, Tony Anscom's is going to join us later in the show. He's a he describes himself as a global security evangelist. I haven't really given you the backgrounder for this story mean? yet. This is a wild story. So I think I think the security evangelist part is is I think him having a bit of fun with what his job is, which is to, yeah. to try to you know get up there and preach good digital security habits. And of course, in this day and age, people understand. You hear about you know my buddy had a, an identity theft nightmare just last month, mm-hmm. and, and there were credit card implications and all these types of things. A survey showed last year that eleven percent these were Americans polled, two thousand Americans polled, eleven percent reported finding a hidden camera in their airbnb wow one in ten travelers
2: that's my that's my worst nightmare
1: isn't that, that yeah. i mean that's the type of thing where you go what and you get that kind of bone chilling kind of a sense and so tony's going to talk to us about that so that should be really good and then we're going to get into some of your emails as well but the story that we're paying keen attention to right now of course is this story involving the the crown prosecutors so yesterday we have uh, political scientist dr Dwayne brad out of mount royal university joining us on the show we appreciate those of you that tuned in live those of you that checked it out later a lot of interest um, obviously, the, the clip that we posted on Twitter, 27,000 views, Johnny, 97,000 impressions. I think people care about this story and the story has a development. So on this Tuesday morning, as, as Global News has reported, Alberta Justice is chiming in. Now, you've got to keep in mind what their mandate is and, and and where crown prosecutors are in all of this. They don't want to be looped into this. right? People in the public service, uh, in particular, prosecutors need to maintain that arm's length distance, right? Uh, They need to uh, clear up or certainly address head on any allegations that there's communication between elected officials, let alone political leadership, the premier of a province and the crown prosecutors. And so this story updated today, uh, last night into this morning, Alberta justice saying that there is no record of electronic communication, between Premier Daniel Smith's office and the Alberta Crown Prosecution Service, the ACPS. Uh, no record has been found after allegations reported last week were probed. This was a news release that was issued yesterday afternoon. The government department said that the Alberta Public Service had undertaken what they describe as a comprehensive review of emails regarding the matter, searching for, quote, any emails sent to or received by the relevant prosecutors and staff in the Premier's office over a four-month period. Now, of course, last Thursday, the CBC reported that that was not the case, that there had been correspondence. They cited a source that they couldn't name, said that that source feared for losing their job, which seems reasonable. But the CBC also divulged that it had not seen the email, which leads somebody, anybody with a a background in understanding how these types of things work, including an understanding of um, libel and slander laws right uh, anybody keenly aware of the implications of reporting something let alone a bombshell publicly without being able to cite those sources or at least if it came down to it produce evidence that would be contrary to the public narrative well that'd be a big situation it's quite frankly hard to believe almost impossible to believe that the CBC would put itself in that situation now the Premier's doubling down on this she says not only did she not contact the prosecutors involved in this. Now, there are some specific words being used, email in particular, and anybody that's been in politics or perhaps in certain lines of other work knows that sometimes you got to keep an eye out for, keep your ears perked up for specific words, right? You think of, did you email that person? Well, what if it was a text message? What if it was a Twitter DM? What if, what if it was a phone call? It would be truthful to say I did not email that person. Now, I'm not talking to any sources. I'm representing me myself speaking for Ryan Jesperson right now. I'm not the one that reported this story, but I'm sure curious to know what the source is for the CBC that gives that credible outlook the go-ahead, the green light to report such an explosive story. I think it's absolutely imperative that we recognize that the premier has gone on the record contradicting what she is currently telling Albertans. I wanted to go back to the interview where really this all started. This was nearing the end of 2022. This was a December interview. Alberta's premier, Danielle Smith, sitting down with rebel media founder ezra levant this is a clip from the ezra levant show i want to play you a, a full minute or so of it so i'm not cherry picking or poaching one gotcha type sentence here's what premier daniel smith told ezra levant last month
3: the questions that i can ask and have asked and continue to ask is is it in the public interest yeah and is there a reasonable likelihood of conviction Yeah. And I think the longer that we go on, seeing that prosecutions are not being successful, it makes a stronger case yeah. on both of those fronts. That uh, if the conviction isn't likely, we, we know that we have a lot of pressure on our courts. Yeah. And if the public has now come to terms with wanting a different approach, is it in the public interest? It's, it, it'll, it's becoming increasingly hard to answer those two questions. Now, I, I, I put it to the prosecutors and um, I've asked them to do a review of the cases with those two things in mind. And I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we'll, we'll see a, a true turning of the page, because I think you're very right that something, something changed in February uh, when, the, when the Freedom Convoy took place, that I think people uh, realize that now we know more about this virus, we have more effective means to be able to address it. That some of the extreme measures that were uh, that may, had, may have had a lot of widespread support early on, they, they, they just don't have the same widespread support today. And so do you continue on in uh, prosecuting when when the public has has moved on? That's the big question that the crown has got to, co- to come to terms with. OK,
1: so I put it to the prosecutors, says Premier Smith. No, there's been a bit of a walking back from her office in the past couple of days, right? The, 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 the uh, assertion was not exactly accurate. The clarification has been that she spoke with Alberta's justice minister. The justice minister reminded her that prosecutors are already aware. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Prosecutors are already aware that charges are typically laid only in circumstances where prosecutors believe that, yes, it's in the public interest and there's a reasonable likelihood of conviction. So what are you, the average civilian, to make of this story? Is it solved? Because Alberta Justice says there's no record following a weekend investigation, no record of an email exchange between these two parties. Is it bullshit? Because the CBC is not naming its source automatically. I put it out to you candidly yesterday, and of course, you can follow us at Real Talk RJ on on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. That's where you'll find the the clips, the highlights from our show. I asked you from my personal account, from, from zero to 10, how much faith do you have in the process here? After the Alberta government, Alberta justice in that department announcing yesterday that there was nothing found, how much faith do you have in the process and about 500 of you have responded to this point. And so I don't have an opportunity, obviously, to read all of your comments. Rose says less than zero. There's no way that any of this is legitimate. Terry McConnell, great to hear from Terry, longtime journalist, author out of Edmonton, says that, what, what, that someone will get to the bottom of this? He says maybe a three out of 10, and that's being generous. David says, uh, how do we quantify the UCP making progress when they want to take Alberta back? joanne says absolutely none zero zilch nada and the fact that the premier reiterates that it was a quote impartial investigation makes me even more suspicious there are a whole bunch of you using memes and gifs and you know I, johnny i think we've seen like game of thrones we saw a lot of simpsons gifs that were used <laughs> in this uh, jimmy ray said an, a negative 100 percent. that doesn't strike me as a real investigation Anti-Macro says, I have as much faith in this as I do in every other instance where anybody who's allegedly done a bad thing conducted their own investigation into whether or not the said bad thing actually happened. A whole bunch of zeros, a whole bunch of minuses. I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling because I want to find somebody that gave it a 10. There were a few that were accusing me of shilling for or carrying water for the CBC or trying to bury the premier, which is obviously not true. It's the job of a talk show to pay attention to things like this. It's a job of a talk show to ask questions and endeavor to cut through the noise and get down to the actual story and find out what actually happened, if that's a possibility in this circumstance if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see Ubako Bogu. There you go. Law professor says he gives it a minus ten. Now, Ubaka. Folks like Ubaka are in a tough position because people will say, "Well, well, this is a partisan position." Remember this when Ubaka was smeared as an NDP law professor by the previous premier. So of course, people will say, "Well, th- this is all partisan saber rattling." You know, these are all people with driven by their own political loyalties or their own political grievances. I'm still stro- scrolling. I'm trying to find one where somebody gives it a 10 out of 10 or even a passing grade, a five plus. All right. Well, this is turning into how about this one from Jill? Jill often shows up in our live chat. He says the premier said she did it multiple times and then investigated herself on whether she actually did what she said she did. There's no way this process was Unbiased. I know Alberta justice would beg to differ, right? It was their investigation, at least one of them. Dave says the best predictor of behavior is past behavior. And I guarantee if this breach or apparent breach happened in public service, there would be a full independent investigation. Well, you get the point. There's a lot of cynicism. People have their doubts. (laughs) J.C. in St. John says, I trust gas station sushi more than I trust this process. Kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? Doing this before 9 a.m. My stomach just turned a little bit. Thanks, JC. Appreciate that. And took the time to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. She says, "You know, Ryan, that simply because the premier has spoken so outlandishly that anybody who's employed by government, like all like all the people working in the courts, uh, you know, including prosecutors, when they hear that news, if they want to keep their jobs, I would think they may ponder deeply if they would." fly against the so-called winds of change does anybody actually believe that government staff would go against what the elected government wants that's an interesting question Ann Ann says no matter what anybody says crown prosecutors have been hearing the news and they know what is expected of them this isn't something as with the doctors and and our health care system that we should brush under the carpet the premier is setting the tone for government employees all of them to know what she wants and to consider the fact that their jobs may be in jeopardy. Please pay attention to this on Real Talk. I suspect that this story is being washed out, and there's so much more behind the scenes that is going on. Please bring it out. That from Anne. We appreciate the email. You can send us your thoughts anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. This is one example of many where we don't simply find resolution immediately. But where there's smoke, as they say, where there's smoke, we'll continue to focus on the stories that matter to our Western Canadian audience and to politically engaged Canadians across the country. And in just a moment, we're going to check in with Rick Peterson along different lines. Does it make sense for the city of Edmonton, for the city of Calgary, for taxpayers in rural areas, for people that are going to be making a decision in less than six months to send MLAs to represent them in government? Does it make sense to elect a party that is promising to introduce an Alberta pension plan, or does it make sense to show support for a party that says they won't touch the federal plan? For a lot of people, especially those either In the waning years of their careers, for those of you that have worked so long and hard, you deserve and you have earned a wonderful retirement, this is the type of thing that really, really matters to you. And Rick Peterson's going to get to that with us in just a second. This conversation is presented by our wonderful friends at Eden Landscaping. You can check them out online right now at landscapeedmonton.ca. Why do you hire a team like Eden Landscaping? What sets them apart? Uh, Well, number one, they love a challenge. I had a chance to sit down with Mike yesterday. He owns and operates Eden Landscaping. I said, what's the one thing that sets Eden apart from all of your competitors? He says, we've never met a challenge that we didn't tackle head on and solve. So whether that's a drainage issue, whether that's a design issue, whether it's something you're trying to wrap your mind around that maybe even previous landscape companies have tried to take on with zero success, you're not satisfied, why not take two seconds to make contact with Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. There's nothing construction-wise that you can ask for that they cannot build for you. I love those bold claims. Our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy wanna remind you about this Canada Greener Homes Grant. It's up to $40,000 interest-free from the federal government, payable over 10 years. You can learn more details by going to the blog link at kubienergy.ca. It's a new interest-free loan for solar panels and energy efficiency. They do all the paperwork for you. Their team starts to design your solar installation. And as soon as the snow melts, they're up there on your roof doing the installs. Check out their Instagram, by the way, at Kubi Energy. They just posted a photo, did an install out in the mountains. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. It's a great time to go green with Kubi Energy. And once you've got those solar panels up on your roof, you've got yet another reason to go check out parkpower.ca, your friendly local utilities provider. You're going, wait a second, internet, electricity, natural gas, what do they have to do with solar? Well, here's the deal in the summer months, especially like late June, July into August, when your system is churning out electricity more than your household needs, Park Power will buy that excess electricity back from you and they're going to pay you more than the big guys will. It's just one more reason why more and more Albertans are taking their business to Park Power. If you go to parkpower.ca today and sign up for their services, bundle them. For every service you bundle, the promo code RealTalk23 earns you fifty dollars back off your first bill. So you bundle internet, natural gas, and electricity. Park Power is going to hook you up with a hundred and fifty dollars knocked right off your first bill. Doesn't get better than that at parkpower.ca. Our lead off guest this morning has been a great friend of this show and an engaged political watcher, political participant, and for a moment was in the race to become the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Rick Peterson is the founder and chair of Peterson Capital. Uh, It's a capital markets advisory firm based out of Alberta's capital city with offices across Canada and in Europe. He's co-founder, as mentioned, and director of Center Ice Canadians. Uh, It's a national advocacy group founded coming up on a year ago to provide a, a strong, bold voice for pragmatic, centrist Canadians. Rick, the folks that they describe as occupying the mushy middle. It's nice to see your face again.
0: Pleasure to be here at Jespo. Thank you. Thanks for having
1: me on. Yeah, you got it. Uh, One of the things I've always loved when you and I connect and we talk politics is we can jump all over the place. You know, We can talk about city councils and we'll talk a lot about provincial politics. I know that you've got a real passion and a real desire to make an impact and have Canadians feel represented at the federal level. Uh, Let me ask you how you're wrapping your mind around what's going on right now at the Alberta legislature. Where's your confidence at in this government? And what do you make of this story alleging that there's been political interference in, in the context of prosecuting coots
0: well I, you know what i haven't been able to keep up to it i know there's back and forth and and you know let's just wait and see what it plays out i think the uh the you know the focus today just what i wanted to bring was let's take political shades off and um i'm approaching this whole question of the cpp which i think is an important one just as a numbers guy and and um a political decision will be made by uh, Alberta voters, whether the uh, formation of an APP makes sense. Um, looking forward to a report that's going to be coming out theoretically in a couple of weeks on this, but looking at the uh, opportunity uh, or the risks, Jespo, of us having a provincial plan as opposed to going to the CPP. Uh, right now, doesn't make sense to me. Got some reasons behind it. Uh, willing to To let this report come out and maybe change my mind but i just can't see any logical reason that this makes sense today
1: okay if people want to read i mean you've been contributing to national newswatch they can go to nationalnewswatch.com and and we'll have uh the links in the show notes for the podcast and and on youtube you say that it may make sense politically for alberta to establish its own pension plan but you're not sure that it makes sense on the bottom line from the money sense uh, politically speaking, what strikes you as potentially advantageous? I mean, aside from sending a message, I think, to to, to Daniel Smith's supporters, and, and Jason Kenney was keen on this idea as well. It's not just limited to her, but let's say to conservative supporters sending a message that Alberta is no longer keen to so-called rely on Ottawa. What what else do you read in to the potential political advantages of making the move?
0: Well, there could be, uh, just, but you know, I think about this ad on TV. Have you ever seen this ad where, where the kind of Gen Zetter millennial uh, is speaking to his dad and said, hey, dad, are you still using the same mm-hmm. investment advisor uh, that you've used for the last two decades? And, you know, the dad kind of goes, well, yeah. And the Gen Zetter rolls his eyes and said, well, you know, there is a better way to do it. So if you look at the track record of the Canada Pension Plan adjustable from 1965 and you look at the results and you look at the returns and you look at where... The returns come from, uh, in the piece that I posted last week, 40%, 44% of Canadians' investments in the Canada Pension Plan are in what we call private equity and infrastructure. So that's roads, ports, bridges, railways, water pipelines around the world. And that's where a lot of the positive returns for any pension plan come from. And the Canada Pension Plan has been dominant in the sector. They have 44% of their assets right now just are in that. So if I'm the father uh, talking to uh, one of my kids who's saying, you know, dad, I want to pull money out of the CPP. And I would say, well, where are you thinking of going? Who do you think, you know, who's going to manage your account? And they said, well, we got this new account that could be starting in Alberta. And I think they can do a good job. And when I looked at that account and, you know, whether it's AIMCO, I, I can't see it being just below anybody else than AIMCO. AIMCO's only got like 14%. In other words, Canada Pension Plan has got three times the amount of investments in the part of the pension plan that's really delivering the high returns. And so I would say, hmm, well, uh, there's maybe one thing to think about. And the other two things is, you know what, you can argue with me or anybody else on politics, but you can't argue numbers. You can't argue returns. And the biggest message here, Jespo, is as a retiree, I'm 68, right? So I am with a whole bunch of other Albertans that are looking at the CPP. And I'm thinking, well, how has uh, AIMCO done? Or, you know, if there's anybody else, nobody comes to mind. But over the last 10-year period, I mean, Canada Pension Plan has outperformed by a wide margin. AIMCO, in the short term, it's even worse. So, gee, they're not in the assets that are really producing returns for us. Your overall returns are bad. And then you've got other elements, which I'll be posting about later on today or tomorrow, but the political risk of interference in a provincial pension plan, we've seen it in Quebec. Maybe we'd see it here in Alberta.
1: Yeah. Can you take us, like for those of us, me included that aren't, necessarily 100% when you say Quebec everybody understands that that the province operates with some autonomy in some circumstances and they're not limited I mean if we want to talk about provincial police we could talk about Ontario as well there are examples across the country I mean what's being proposed here in Alberta on a couple of different fronts is happening in other parts of the country but are there case studies out of Quebec with regards to the pension specifically where you say here's a here's a, a direct red flag that people should watch waving right now in real time?
0: All you got to do is scroll through the news and you got to see what uh, Francois Legault or the cast have said over the years. I mean, uh, investments in Bombardier, in SNC-Lavalin, when, you know, the premier has said, we're going to stand by Bombardier and we want Bombardier's, uh, you know, shares to be, we want the Kess de Depot to invest in Bombardier. Jesco, I don't want the fund manager looking after my retirement income. I don't want them having any political bet at all right? I don't want them to be concerned about the uh, you know, the railway, the local industry. I want returns. I want as least risk as possible and I want positive returns. So when you have the premier of a province openly coming out and saying that Caisse Depot de dépôt de placement de Québec will stay behind Bombardier, I'm kind of going, hell no. Now, Quebec has also ruled out oil and gas investments totally. On the same side of it, I wouldn't want if the Alberta pension plan is the way we go, I don't want the Alberta pension plan manager going all in on oil and gas just because we are obviously the home of oil and gas. So, what I want is a dispassionate, non political, trusted person or group investing my money over the long term. And you've got the risk of interference, it's there.
1: That's the, that's the thing. And, and, and I'll put it in Darren's words. He's watching us right now on, on the live chat on YouTube says, this is the part that concerns me, writes Darren, political interference. I don't want pensions to be used for political reasons. And and I bet you right now, and, and like I've got friends that work at AIMCO and we've had some really great and candid conversations that they're actually a little bit pissed off. And I've said this on the on the show before. They won't come on the show and say it, but they're a little pissed off because they feel like they're getting a bad rap and they feel like their performance is being misrepresented and it's not totally understood by people. And I do think that that's important to mention. I digress. That's my personal angle on this. But I guarantee that they would insist, just like crown prosecutors are insisting right now, that they need to operate at arm's length, that they don't want to be hearing from politicians aside from maybe the finance minister or maybe the premier every once in a while in an appropriate on the record type circumstance. Now, let's be honest, Rick, if AIMCO had gone all in on oil and gas in the past couple of years, they'd be sitting pretty right now, right? I mean, it's not a, a terrible situation right now. The concern is that ideology might stand in the way of astute investments looking forward and sort of more of a digging the heels in approach that was more Alberta centric. Do you think that that might be a real possibility?
0: Possible, but one of the uh, there's, there's a very well-known pension fund manager in Toronto. Uh, I called uh, last week, and he said, "Rick, he said the one thing a pension fund manager—and this person managed several billion dollars in the U.S. He's now managing private accounts in Toronto. He said the one thing pension fund managers have to do is stay off the front pages. Yeah, stay off the front pages, right? And and unfortunately, Amco has been on the front pages for a failed strategy that cost 2.1 billion, and." Mistakes happen. People make mistakes. Investment managers make mistakes. But the problem, Ryan, is that when you make a mistake that costs a big hole in your returns, and if you look at the five year returns, uh, you know, the de Depot and AIMCO numbers are significantly lower than the Canada Pension Plan. That's hard to dig yourself out of that hole, right? It's hard to recuperate from having a big hole blown out of your portfolio. And so when you step on a rake, in the investment world we all step on rakes we all make mistakes it's not perfect but when you step on a rake that comes about because a your governance or risk management strategies are poor numbers just bear it out when you step on a rake because you're maybe putting money into sectors that are politically motivated it hurts people right it hurts people and your friends at aimco uh good strong people but at the end of the day AIMCO's volatility strategy cost $2.1 billion, heads rolled, changes were made. That happens. The I'm not a big, big defender necessarily of the Canada Pension Plan. And we can turn to that at the end here. But the Canada Pension Plan hasn't stepped on any big rates, huh. right? They haven't had anything blow up on them to that extent. They've been largely out of the newspaper. So as an Albertan, I'm saying, hey, let's look at this report. Right now, the numbers, where the assets are, and a big question, Ryan, that I'm going to be posting on after this report comes out, is a potential divorce between CPP and an Alberta pension plan that could get ugly. That could get really ugly. We'll talk about that later.
1: Yeah, all, all I've seen here is anecdotal, and so I always want to take that for what it's worth. You never want to write off what people are saying, but you also got to consider that when when you hear from people, even if here on the show. I mean, like I said, we had you know about 500 comments on a tweet yesterday. Uh, that's great. That's really great engagement here from 500 people. But it's also like, you know, there's almost 5 million people in the province. So I always try to keep that perspective. Do you know what I mean? And so I've been getting the sense, I mean, hear from, for example, from teachers that'll email the show and talk at ryanjesperson.com and they'll say, keep your hands off my pension. Don't move my pension. I never voted for anybody to move my pension. I don't give my permission for my pension dollars to be moved. And then you wonder, like, writ large, what, for example, a teacher's union might have to say about this or what a group of retirees might have to say about this or what have you. Obviously, for some people, this is more relevant than others. As we talked about, people that are at a pension earning age, people that are on a fixed retirement income, and this is a huge deal to them, right? I'm not trying to take the conversation back into a weird direction, but let me ask you this, as a money guy, like there's wins and losses, there's ebbs and flows, like every money manager I'm, and by the way, context, I'm watching this Bernie Madoff thing right now on Netflix and so I'm just I feel like my spidey senses are tingling all over the place. But Aimco manages approximately and this I'm looking at 2020 numbers. So this is like 2-3 years old, Rick. But Aimco is managing approximately 120 billion dollars. Uh billion. What is it? now? $130.4 130.4? Okay, yeah, so 134 130.4 billion, 130 billion. I don't act, I'm just going to sound ridiculous coming out of my mouth but is a 2 billion dollar hit I mean considering how markets move considering you got to swing at pitches considering 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 is losing 2 billion when you're managing 130 billion really that huge of a deal like the CEO of AIMCO resigned so obviously it sent waves through the organization it impacted the public trust the government had to answer for it at the time I remember Travis Taves commenting about it but you're a guy that's I'm sure taking some risks How do you wrap your mind around that? You can't win everything.
0: It's not the amount, Ryan, it's the lack of oversight and risk management. Right? So let's hope it's been fixed. I'm sure it has. There's some good, strong people. In fact, there's some ex CPP people, obviously at the head of AIMCO. So they'll get through it. They'll get over it. And, and you can't judge a long-term performance. Keep in mind, AIMCO has only been active since 2008. So you come back to my analogy of the Gen Zetter talking to his father. Uh, you know, the, uh, Canada Pension plan has been managing money since 1965. There's a long track record. And with that as well, too, Ryan, uh, CPP manages 530 billion, 529, AMCO 130. So you've got three times bigger amount of money, but especially in the big, big area that I am concerned about is private equity and infrastructure. Only 14% of AMCO's money is there. Almost half, almost half of the Canada Pension Plan money is there. And here's the other thing, is global investments in this infrastructure, it's super competitive, right? Super, super competitive. The Swiss, the Germans, the Japanese, the Americans, everybody, other pension funds in Canada all want access to these um, assets. And who gets the first call in Canada? It's the Canada Pension Plan, right? And the one element, the one element that the global private equity markets fear is, sovereign funds political interference so uh imco is 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 doing everything it can like every pension fund does but if we have a sniff of alberta pension plan money being a sovereign fund being a fund that could be open to privately to political interference and this is not just the current government this is future ones past ones this is not anything to do with who's in office right now But as soon as you move assets into a sovereign fund, Quebec is considered to be a sovereign fund. And Quebec does not have the returns. Quebec does not have the assets. Quebec does not have the deal flow that the Canada Pension Plan has. The Canada Pension Plan has got 70 offices across Canada. They're all fielding calls. They are the go-to people when assets come available. It's not Alberta, not Ontario teachers, certainly not Quebec. And I don't want to change that. I think it should stay as it is.
1: We're talking to Rick Peterson. Before I let you go, it's 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 coming up on a year uh, since we were all hanging out with with uh, you know Andrew Coyne and former BC Premier Christy Clark and and Paul Wells and Dominic Cardy out of the Maritimes and Marjorie Breton and I mean you you put on a hell of a, a gathering uh, in Edmonton as you launched Center Ice Canadians people can check out at Centerice you know the idea essentially to bring together people you described as pragmatic practical real life kind of folks with real concerns about Politics and, and a desire to find a political home, so to speak, in an era that uh, appears to be and feels like it's becoming more and more polarized with every passing week. Uh, where's Centre Ice Canadians at now? What have you learned from the exercise to this point? And now that you have the podium, what do you want people to be thinking about?
0: You know what, J- Jespo? Uh, we're drinking out of a fire hose of interest. We have uh, we held a second conference in Hamilton. February 28th, uh, we have an event happening in Toronto where we're going to be talking about the budget and money. Um, We've got 1,300 people signed up on our email list. Go to centericecanadians.ca and we'll keep you updated. Uh, We're actually, Ryan, we're going to be expecting some news. We're holding the Canada Pension Plan feet to the fire. You know, I'm speaking on this pension issue. This is not a Canadians issue. This is my own thought. So this is not reflecting Canadians. Sure. But- Seminaries Canadians, Dominic Cardi and I put a petition together and we were complaining to the to the uh, Canada Pension Plan. Part of the Canada Pension Plan money is in a passive investment strategy by Morgan Stanley that could be investing in Uyghur slave camps in China. Can't have that. Can't have that. So we pressed Canada Pension Plan for answers. We want them to get the hell out of that. We hope to have an answer back from them uh, in the week coming up. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for our event on Feb 28th. And um, lots of interesting things going on in the center here in Canada, which seems to be wide open opportunity for people who have a pragmatic centrist approach, a radical centrist approach,
4: mm-hmm.
0: Ryan, to uh, politics. As Dominique Cardi says, and I love this, he says, being uh, moderate or being sensible is now radical
1: yeah yeah people are gonna think why am i people in western canada why am i remembering that name cardi why am i remembering dominic cardi remember he had one of the most sensational uh resignation letters that i've ever seen in my life when he stepped away as new brunswick's minister of education a few months ago that was a a really amazing stuff rick it's always nice to see your face man i really respect your political engagement thanks for taking us through your piece at nationalnewswatch.com the biggest kid on the block we'll talk to you again soon Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, you bet. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Peterson Yegg, nationalnewswatch.com for his piece. It'll be in our show notes and, of course, uh, as well, Center Ice Canadians. Uh, you can find them online uh, under the show notes, or you can just dial it up directly, centericecanadians.ca. I've no doubt on the live chat, we've got a lot. Yeah, of course, everybody cares about pensions, right? You don't have to be 65-plus to care about pensions. You care about where your money is going. You care about how that money is managed. This is your future you're talking about. Kimberly says, I worked for a commercial real estate company owned by a pension fund that partners with both CPP federally and AIMCO in Alberta. And the reporting and oversight, says Kimberly with the two, is night and day. Darren says, moving teacher pensions and wanting to move more under the umbrella of AIMCO to me is the indicator. They want to use those funds politically. They want more influence with our money it's it's kind of apples and oranges but you think of the investment that Alberta's former premier Kenny made in Keystone XL when when it appeared to be on death row and a one billion dollar cash infusion with other guarantees on behalf of the people of Alberta a lot of people were pissed about that a lot of people still are pissed about that Lynn says, ask any retired or even currently acting teacher how they feel about AIMCO, how much confidence they have after that higher performing pension was transferred without any consultation. Luke, meantime, says, I had no idea. Infrastructure was a form of investment for CPP. He says, I'm reading more about how that stuff works right now. That's sure interesting stuff to learn. Luke, that is music to our ears. We love it. We learn something new every day doing the show, and we hope that you do, too. Coming up in just a second, how to protect yourself in the context of digital security. What about those of you that are traveling? What about those of you that get an Airbnb or a Verbo or some other home rental type scenario? Everybody seems to be doing it right now. There's a ton of benefits, but what if you discovered or even worse, did not discover a hidden camera? Tony Anscombe on that in just a second. These conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at California Closets and Garage. I'm speaking to you as a customer, a satisfied customer of this business. Uh, Carrie and I invested in California Closets a number of years ago, and it absolutely transformed our lives. On the main floor of our home, in the family room, a stunning installation And, of course, it holds the TV and the entertainment center and the games, the board games for the kids and the books and the cool little trinkets and uh, memorabilia we've picked up on our travels around the world. Beautiful pot lighting, convenience. Johnny, I always say if you want to know quality in an install like this, there's the ones that you have like the cabinet doors and you can slam them. And then right before they close, they just go...
2: Yeah, the safe shut. Yeah. The
1: safe shut. They slow right down. You will love your California closet. Some other day, I'll tell you about what it's done in our master bedroom, the walk ins. Carrie's walk in as a chandelier. I mean, California Closets does it like nobody else. If you're thinking right now, though, that your garage is your top priority, through 2023, we're going to be telling you about some of these garage makeovers that they're done. And by the end of the year, Real Talkers. Wanted to put this on your radar, we're going to be giving away a garage makeover, courtesy of our friends at California Closets. You can find them online at californiaclosets.ca. Hey, we're coming up on a week away from the next 15% off day at Friesen Brothers. As a matter of fact, the 1st of February is the next time you'll be able to knock 15% off your family's grocery bill. If you spend $75 or more, I want to direct you to their Easy Family Meal Solutions link on their website, frizen.com That's F-R-E-S-O-N. The Family Essentials Flyer is quality food for low prices every day. This is a family business started in 1955. They've always been focused on family Alberta grown Alberta owned make sure you visit a Friesen brothers 16 locations across Alberta 15% off the first day of every month and our friends at local environmental services want to encourage you to keep it local if you're in charge of coordinating garbage recycling I was talking to a buddy a restaurateur about two weeks ago he told me what he spends every month on garbage pickup it is an unbelievably high expense I looked him in the eye and I said buddy you need to keep it local. So he requested a quote, and guess what? He's bringing his business over to local environmental services, not just because a real human answered the phone, not just because they're family-owned, not just because they have references out the wazoo because they've been doing business for a quarter century, but also because he's going to be paying less. If you're doing business, if you're a community organizer in Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina, and surrounding areas, keep it local today at localenvironmental.ca. This was a story that uh, I think was going to give any traveler the heebie-jeebies. You know, of course, you know that when you travel, when you hit the road, whether you're on your own or taking your family, you want to have the most wonderful possible experience. And of course, you want to maintain your privacy when you're entering new scenarios. More and more people are utilizing services like Airbnb or Verbo. They're staying in other folks' homes as an alternative to a hotel. Uh, But in recent years, many travelers have had their vacations literally ruined by one particularly creepy guest, hidden cameras. As a matter of fact, a property services firm IPX 1301 uh, back in 2019 interviewed 2,000 American Airbnb customers and found that 11% of the more than one in 10 said that they had discovered a hidden camera in their Airbnb. Tony Anscombe has been in the security industry for more than 20 years. He's an established author, blogger, and speaker on the current threat landscape, data protection, privacy, and trust. You've likely seen him on the BBC, read his work in the New York Times, and seen him speaking to USA Today. He's making his Real Talk debut this morning. Tony, they call you a global security evangelist. It's nice to have you joining us on Real Talk.
4: Oh, it's great to be here.
1: Tony, one in 10 Airbnb customers interviewed say they've discovered a hidden camera. I, I I, think about what I would do in a circumstance like that, and none of it is good.
4: Well, I'm not sure who'd want to see me wandering around in the shower, but there you go. Um, it, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's somewhat shocking, isn't it? We rent an Airbnb, and when you walk in the door, it's a it's a safe space. You know, you're back in your four walls of your temporary home, and uh, you should feel safe in it. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, 10% say they found it, and a lot of people, 58% in that same survey, said they are very concerned about it. Now, you know, I, th- I personally would be super concerned about that. Uh, and remember, this might not be a camera that the host has put in. You know, Airbnbs are rented from one tenant to the next, or hopefully uh, for the host uh, host benefit, uh, and it could be a previous tenant that has left a hidden camera in the property without the host knowledge. So this could be super uh, you know super difficult to find out who is actually the perpetrator in this.
1: People can check out WeLiveSecurity.com, and they'll find a recent blog post, you and your team, the spy who rented to me, throwing the spotlight on hidden cameras in Airbnbs. So, of course, I mean, in this day and age, it seems like everybody's got cameras on their property. We sure have cameras on our property, and it's pretty obvious why someone would. We don't have cameras in the bathroom, though. We don't have cameras in our guest bedrooms. So, how do you know, as an Airbnb or Verbo customer, as somebody who's on the road, when a camera's potentially problematic, aside from the obvious? And how do you know when it's par for the course? Totally acceptable.
4: Well, firstly, there's a, a, a strict policy. Airbnb and other rental companies, and, and we should point out all of them are much, you know, much the same. We use Airbnb as, I think, pretty much a noun these days, don't we? It's, uh, um, you yeah, know, if, if we. If we think about uh, looking at the pictures of a property before you rent, if there's pic- if there's cameras in certain locations, yeah, it's for the security of the property. And that's an easy thing. They're being disclosed. Or you can ask the host before you book up, do you have security cameras, et cetera. But it, it's like you said, yeah, a bedroom, a bathroom, yeah, these are no-no places for cameras. Um, so if there are hidden cameras in those places, it's how do you do- actually then go and detect them? Well, there's some things, you know, that, that hidden light that comes on at night when there's movement or such like. But if it's truly a hidden camera, it's unlikely to have lights that come on and off and on. Uh, one of the ways you can do it is actually connect to the Wi-Fi and run a scan of the Wi-Fi. Now, most cybersecurity packages I certainly know ours does, ESET, allows you to scan the local network and look at other devices, and it will tell you what the, what the device types are so you can see whether there are any uh, cameras connected to the, the network. Tony what do you do when you're on
1: the road and, and not just limited to Airbnbs like, like even hotels do you I mean I envision you as like a global security guy do you do like a bit of a sweep I mean do you have a little digital tool that you use what's your protocol
4: well my advanced team turns up two days before yeah
1: sure yeah <laughs>
4: <laughs> I wish that was the case, eh? Um, but no. Uh, on a serious note, I do take a good look round, and I would start a, a, a package just to see what's out, uh, what's on the network. And actually, sometimes, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I t- kind of avoid public network, public Wi-Fi networks for security purposes. You I know, will hotspot my phone and stuff like that. But if I went into an Airbnb and I, I had, if there was any suspicion, I actually think I'd just turn off the router in the property. Yeah, and I'd message the host and Taryn and say there was something that made me feel uncomfortable. I turned it off and I'd hotspot my phone and use my mobile device to get Internet connectivity.
1: What do companies like Airbnb say about this? I mean, as a security expert, are you satisfied with their position and their policy at this point or is there work to do there?
4: Well, the... I think the issue is, is is like i said you don't know who the perpetrator is in this instance is it the host or is it a previous tenant so it would be pretty easy wouldn't it think of it when you go to a stay in an airbnb to walk in with a camera in your pocket connect it to the wi-fi in there and just leave it hidden somewhere so yeah and it could be any of the 10 previous tenants so very difficult to work out who's responsible but they have a policy yeah airbnb's policy is that you have to disclose if there are cameras in the property. And if they're in the pictures, that is disclosure. So I think that's pretty fair. And as a host, I think most hosts would tell you there are cameras in the property or on the outside of the property for security purposes. Um, And they may even tell you they're disabled while you're in the property. However, um, you know, that's very easy from an app. As we all know, if you've got security cameras in your own host, House to to sit there, arm and disarm them at will, and take pictures or video. Yeah,
1: um,
4: and potentially even listen. Most cameras have audio on them as well. Yeah, so it's complex. It's very it's a very complex issue.
1: If somebody discovers uh, a hidden camera I mean let's say that it's a circumstance where there's no justification I mean I'm talking like the ones you see in the movies like the holes drilled in the wall and the camera's there in the bathroom and it's right above the shower I mean the real creepy stuff Uh, is it like a 911 call I mean how do you recommend people deal with something like that
4: well firstly contact the host like I say the host might not actually know it's there Um, however if it's been uh, covertly put into a hole behind a wall and yeah you'd assume that is the host um i'd also contact airbnb or vrbo or expedia whoever it is that you've rented the property from and alert them to the issue and yeah i would ring law enforcement but yeah i would also step back from that you know my if you're in a small rural place or you're out you're off slightly off the the mainstream grid I think you might get a a, a sheriff that comes out and, and looks at it and goes, "I have no clue what to do," uh, and I kind of understand this. This is a technolo- uh, technology crime that um, they tell you to switch off the router or, or switch, you know, or, or cover it up. I'm not sure they know how to track back and try and find out who the perpetrator is. So I'm not. I'm not sure law enforcement would, would be the right. It's the right thing to do, but I'm not sure I get a very positive response
1: you're in an interesting line of work, because I would imagine that, you know, for a lot of us, we, we live, we're sort of blissfully ignorant. Do you know what I mean? Like, I find this sort of the the less you know, uh, the less you're concerned about what's happening all around you, but th- that's not always a good thing. Uh, a classic example I can think of, somebody put Apple AirTags on my radar a few months ago, Tony, and, and so I, I picked up four of them, and for people that don't know, they're about the size of a large button. They're maybe the size of a loony for our Canadian audience. You're joining us from the U.S., I believe. But, but uh, you know, I... So I've got one in my wallet, I've got one in my backpack, and I've got one in my keychain, and I've got one in my carry-on bag. And the idea being that you can track your belongings at all time. If you lose your keys, no big deal. You can find them. You can even get that AirTag to emit a small audio signal so you can finally find your keys But here's the deal. Of course, there's always a dark side. And now we hear that people are slipping air tags into purses or handbags at bars and lounges, that people are able to track complete strangers using these air tags, that this might actually be a real problem, potentially already is. When you follow stories like this, how, how do you stay safe without staying paranoid? How do you stay on top of everything without having it consume you? Do you know what I mean?
4: Well, unfortunately, in, if you're in the cybersecurity industry, you are, you are paranoid, and yes, you know, air tags are a problem. I actually spoke to one of your team two weeks ago, and they, bob one in, uh, they put one in your backpack for me. <laughs> yeah. so let's talk okay. about your movements last Friday <laughs> yeah. night, shall okay, we? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's, that is the problem, though, isn't it? it is a, a colleague or uh, somebody you pass in the street can drop one in a bag, or, or as you say, in a bar, uh, and it is an issue. And in fact. Uh, in Canada, there's a there's a particular issue that they're being used for. So, so uh, criminals will spot a car of choice that they want to steal and they'll air tag the car. They'll go and put an air tag on, somewhere on the car physically and then suddenly they know where the car resides at night. So in the mid of night, they can come along. Um, they can either relay the signal to the key to the front door or they can connect through the... Uh, the onboard diagnostic port in the car and burn themselves another key, and you'll come out in the morning, your car is gone. So, these things are unfortunately a misuse of technology because, let's be clear, yeah, these air tags are great, aren't they? If I can find my lost keys, that's a great service. But as with everything, there's always somebody that finds the way to misuse something.
1: Tony, I really appreciate you putting this on our radar. It was your team that even notified us to, of these poll results. It, uh, obviously, you hear the odd horror story of somebody that discovers that hidden camera, and, and, and no doubt the, the, the feeling of your privacy being violated is one of the worst. But I would have never guessed that more than one in 10 travelers report that experience. Uh, appreciate the tips and want to remind people they can check out more uh, on your team's blog post at welivesecurity.com. We'll have it, of course, noted the link direct in our show notes on the podcast and on YouTube. Uh, you've got a hard out. Everybody wants to talk to you today. Is there anything we didn't cover you want to leave us with to think about as we close?
4: Well, I need to make sure that, you know, cybersecurity is something that should be the front of your mind all the time. You know, when you open your inbox in the morning, just delete the things that don't look right. Those uh, those unsolicited emails and things like that. You know, Unfortunately, cybersecurity technology is one part of the solution. Us being vigilant as people is the other part of the solution. So educate yourself, understand what scams and threats look like, and make sure that you're vigilant all the time.
1: That's Global Security Evangelist Tony Anscombe. Thanks, pal. We'll talk to you again. Wow.
2: Is this the type of thing that you think about? It's funny because I bought my partner, boy, <laughs> uh three AirTags for Christmas. So she's got one in her wallet, one in her phone, one in her key. They're so cool. And it's funny because I told her you don't need the one on your phone. You can already use the find yeah, my yeah, iPhone. Yeah, but yeah. she just likes to know where things are all the time. And we made the joke. She made the joke that hey, I could just throw this in the car when you're leaving one night and yeah. see where you're going. And I said, well, hey, first of all, I have no secrets with you. You could. But we started talking about how these things could be used for illegal purposes and for evil. And it's pretty scary. It's yeah. pretty scary what you can accomplish. So I'm trying to learn more about
1: the air tags and, and uh, people can do their own research and guaranteed that some of the people that are going to hear this on the pod are, are already more familiar with it than we are. I, I, I noticed that one of my tags was beeping. Uh, like it, had, it was emitting this little beep and I couldn't figure it yeah, out. Yeah, they make I sounds. I did a bit of Googling and they can make sounds. And, and it turns out like Apple obviously is aware of this. Um, and, and, and all Apple needs is for this to turn into a PR nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, some serial killers using air tags to track people or some, you know, exotic car theft ring is stealing a bunch of Lamborghinis using air tags. Apple doesn't need that nightmare. Mm mm-hmm. um, And so there is some tech, uh, I understand, that if the AirTag gets far enough away from what you might call it like the host or far enough away from the device it's connected to, that it can start to beep, which would be good. For example, you're somebody leaving a bar, you're in your Uber, or you're in your cab, and all of a sudden you hear a beep coming out of your handbag or coming out of your coat pocket. I mean, that would be a safety feature that would protect the general public from the technology, Mm -hmm. if you can wrap your mind around that, but...
2: We've been noticing some quirks, though. like it'll show up on my phone. It'll tell me when her air tags are around mm. so there's there's weird things with it that i I don't think they've fully figured out yet. but i I think they're great. Like I originally said, like you can put them in a kid's shoe. You know, if you want to keep track, not keep track of your kid, but keep them safe. Know where they are when they go to school, when they come sure. home, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of bad things you could use them for. With any well. tech,
1: yeah. any time that there's something that, that is like, think of the advancements we'll make with this or think of how this is going to make life easier. There's always, it seems, always some nefarious counterpoint to consider. Mm -hmm. You know, how can this tech be leveraged or used against us? If you have a story that we need to hear along these lines, I mean, if you have a firsthand experience, I mean, to bring this back to hidden cameras in Airbnbs or hotel rooms or wherever, we'd love to hear from you. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. That conversation was presented by our friends at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And my friends, this is officially what they would call the one-week close watch. This is the one-week last call for for two-for-one Dilly Bars and DQ Sandwiches. Boxes of six Dilly Bars or DQ Sandwiches quickly turn to 12 when you take them to the counter or run through the drive-thru. Mention Real Talk A six-pack becomes a 12-pack. You buy one, you get one free through the month of January at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. And don't forget, we're telling you all about our Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. That's coming up on Saturday, February 4th at Larry Alexiak Field in beautiful St. Albert, Alberta the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton Sherwood Park will be represented there in full force you'll be able to of course not just grab ice cream treats those that they're so famous for but also hot burgers Uh, we're so thrilled to have Dairy Queens support at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic in support of the Canadian Progress Club uh, out of St. Albert you can learn more by checking out RyanJesperson.com go to the events link and check out Pond Hockey we still do have room For a few teams, if you're looking to volunteer, maybe you just want to come by as a fan. Watch some hockey, sit by the bonfire, listen to Johnny Infamous spinning Alberta's best tunes. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing like a day on the ODR. The outdoor rink made better with the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We'll see you out in St. Albert on February 4th. RyanJesperson.com. Click on the events link. Tuesdays As a matter of fact, on the show, every Tuesday, we celebrate innovation. We shine the spotlight on a person, an invention, a group that's making change using the latest technology. They're looking at a problem and they're solving it. We call it the leading edge. And it's presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy because they care about innovation. It's what drives their process. It's how they ensure that life shouldn't hurt. In the spotlight this week, it is Lassie 2.0. I absolutely love this. So, you know, there's generally speaking a lack of awareness in the general public about the function of service dogs, right? I mean, most people know not to touch them or not to interact with them, but, but they don't know what to do if a service dog approaches them for help. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, Lassie 2.0 bridges the gap as the service dog's need for human assistance is communicated through the lights and siren of the vest the dog is wearing. This is amazing. So in the event of an emergency, the service dog presses a button on the handler's device. The handler wears the device when they go out and there's a, it provides GPS location. Hey, here's technology being used for good. And when the service dog presses that button in the event of emergency, it sends a message to a mobile app. This was developed at Nate in Edmonton, by the way. Well, then that mobile device then sends an email or a text to a predetermined emergency contact. And that allows somebody that's not in the area to call for help. The mobile app also activates a vest that the dog's wearing, which flashes with LED lights and amplifies tones from a speaker to draw attention. Now, you're going to go, what, the dogs are pressing the buttons? Yes, exactly. Service dogs are trained to push elevator buttons, to push mobility assistance door opening buttons, and so they can train these service dogs to push the button on the handler's Lassie 2.0 device. Did you know there are 55 1000 service dogs across the country 55000 of these dogs that are making life manageable making life easier making things accessible for people with hurdles in their way. Well, thanks to these Biomedical Engineering Technology grads from Nate, Michelle Garropy, Brandon Lindsay, and Rose Veer Sal, congratulations win- finalists of the 2022 Capstone Project of the Year, Lassie 2.0, recognized by the Association of Science and Engineering Technology Professionals of Alberta. Boy, oh boy, this is a remarkable invention And of course, very deserving to wind up in the spotlight this week on The Leading Edge. You know, our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy are proud to support Dogs with Wings. The Assistance Dog Society, you can find them online at dogswithwings.ca. It's one of Leading Edge's main monthly charities. Hey, maybe one day in the future, a Dogs with Wings service dog will be fitted with one of these Lassie 2.0 devices. No matter the future for this device, we applaud these local inventors, their ingenuity, and their desire to help make a difference. The Leading Edge is presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, we're going to go across the pond. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to keep our eyes on the stories that are important to you here at home, in your own backyard, so to speak. The provincial political stories, the health and education stories, the federal political happenings. But we're going to find out how Prince Harry's bombshells have been landing in London when the royal correspondent for The Times, Valentine Lowe, joins us live from the UK. We'll see you then.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie cook Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapriya Duveti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.